Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm Teresa. And we are the co-authors of the book, Pass the Baton, Empowering All Music Students. Our goal is to share stories of educators who are passing the baton and empowering their music students. We want to help teachers create music lessons that transform students from passive consumers to vibrant creatives. So thank you for being here, everyone. Tonight, we are joined by Sarah Goolish. Uh, the last two episodes, we had the privilege of speaking to um, Marissa and then Matthew, who are two of the co-authors of the Creative String Orchestra. But we're really excited to have Sarah here to um, kind of to round out that, <laughs> that experience. So Sarah, welcome. Can you maybe introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing right now. Sure. My name is Sarah Goolish. I am a full-time high school music teacher outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I teach orchestra. I teach guitar. Um, I also teach a course called Creativity and Collaboration that is a required course. Um, every student in our school takes it, and I get to teach that with an art teacher. So that's a really cool part of my career that I've had since I started um, I've been at the same school since I graduated in 2007 um, from Temple University. I uh, have also my PhD in music education from Temple. Um, I have three young children, six and under, and I am very busy. I also run FLAP Books, a music ed publishing company. So that's kind of me in a nutshell and why I'm a crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds, it all sounds great. Yeah. Um, so you're an advocate for creativity and, comp and composition in orchestra cl uh, classrooms. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe some projects you've done with your students? Yeah. Um, so I, I'll preface it by saying that the school that I teach at did not have a high school orchestra program when I started teaching there. I served in a position where I was actually working with the choral program at the middle school, and then I got put into the band program at the high school. And so I was kind of jumping around different roles and supporting other teachers. And the orchestra curricular program ended after eighth grade. And so after um, working on my PhD, I decided to come back to the classroom and felt a strong push to start developing programs that didn't exist. And that was just one of them. I saw there was a huge need. I didn't feel equipped to be an orchestra director. My primary instrument is piano. I'm not, I was not well-trained to be an orchestra director, but I just saw a need. And so um, I say that to say that I didn't go into it going, I'm going to make a creative ensemble that does improvisation and it's going to be this amazing thing. I just didn't know what I was doing. And so, uh, and there was no precedent because it hadn't existed before me. So that first year was a lot of exploration. It was a lot of experimentation. Um, I am a classically trained pianist, but I also have this rock band background. I played in bands my whole life. And so I pulled a lot of what my experience was in those settings into the orchestra classroom just to really find things that worked. And I happened to have in that first cohort of students, um, there's a group of graduating seniors that were extremely creative, played a ton of music by ear, played in bands, you know, played at coffee houses. And so I really think that they helped kind of shape the culture of what the ensemble turned into. So it wasn't just, you know, my initial vision. But, you know, what's cool about that is just hearing, I think a lot of people may be able to relate to like this year um, and the pandemic 
to your situation of like, you know, what we could do was totally taken away from us in many ways. And so it is kind of interesting to maybe hear this and think, okay, so how can I, you know, re- recreate things with, you know, when I'm, when I'm forced to kind of start over or forced to at least relook at everything that I'm doing. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I feel this way myself, but I see it with um, teachers that I mentor. I think when we teach outside of our area of expertise, it forces us to be creative because we're, we're not boxed in by what our own experience was. Mm-hmm. And so I find I'm a much better guitar teacher than a piano teacher because I had to learn guitar as an adult. And so I approach it very differently. Same thing with orchestra. I didn't have a ton of experiences playing in orchestra growing up. And so the way that I approach orchestra for better, for worse, isn't shaped by that. Um, And yeah, I've seen that so much this past year where teachers have to completely reinvent who they are being thrown into these new settings and be really creative. That's neat. So what are some things that you've done? Like give us an example of how something in your orchestra classroom might look a little bit different than, you know, what we traditionally imagine. Yeah. So I think one thing that I, Matt and Marissa might've talked about this, but um, developing a culture of creativity is very different than um, slapping on some creative projects. <laughs> and so developing a culture where students feel comfortable and vulnerable enough to be regularly taking risks, using divergent thinking, producing new material, you know, that, that takes a lot of work. And so every day there's some type of creativity that happens, whether it's improvising in our warmups or if it's some type of student choice with whatever we're working on, or if they're leading the activity. And so from day one, I really make it a point that there is something creative, something student driven in every lesson and every day that we work together in terms of larger projects. Um, one of the, one of the things I do with my students that has gotten the most, I guess, attention in terms of us taking it out into the community is we do a lot with on the spot composing. Mm -hmm. So having audience members provide parameters and then my students on stage without the director in front of them developing a song based on whatever progression they're given, based on improvisations from the group, developing riffs, coming up with a song structure on the spot. So that's one of my favorite things to do with my kids is just basically to teach them to jam. You know, they're jamming like a band would jam. They're just doing it on stage in front of people. And so that's one project that we do every year that I really love. That's fun. Matt had mentioned that when we talked to him last time. So yeah, so I'm glad that you brought that up. And he says that you've done even done it at like a festival in front of Yeah, we did. So um, I think I just get excited to push Mm -hmm. boundaries because um, we've seen the same stuff so many times as teachers, the festivals and the concerts. And, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of formulaic stuff that goes into that. And so one year I said to my students, why don't we just go to a festival and give them a blank sheet of paper and tell them to give us the parameters and we'll just make up the piece and they'll judge that piece. And it really felt like the judges didn't know what to do with us. They seemed completely, they probably thought we were crazy. But I think what was exciting for me is this is an area of exploration. If people don't know what to do with this, that means this is a really cool area that we should lean into. And so, yeah. That's, that's great. I love, I love hearing that. So, you know, you're doing this, you're giving them improvisation activities and arranging and composition and whatnot. How do you see that empowering your students? 
I think the biggest thing that I always come back to is this idea of the holistic musician. In a lot of our programs in music education, students who are technically proficient and really good readers tend to be the ones at the top and tend to be the ones who get the most opportunities. And then students who might really have um, a different balance of skills and musicianship skills get left behind. And so when we're talking about students creating, playing by ear, arranging, improvising, we're really elevating other musical ways of being that let us, you know, really see what's strong about each student. So what each student's strengths are. And I found that, you know, so many students in my orchestra who would have never been the first chair player become pillars of our orchestra because they're the, the arranger for that year's pops concert, or they're the one who's not afraid to improvise and they love creating in front of the other group, or they're writing original songs and they're creating arrangements for the orchestra. It just really helps students emerge and their confidence grows immensely. I mean, we have kids every year, you know, who will play at our open mic nights and that type of thing. And if they approach students in our string orchestra and say, will you play a song with me and give them a lead sheet? My kids aren't afraid of that. They feel comfortable in that. And for me, that's a huge win that they're confident to step away from sheet music and be confident musicians in and of themselves in any setting. Yeah. And yeah. We say all the time, you know, we want kids yeah. who are going to be musicians, not only within the four walls of our classroom, but, but outside of that as well. And such a powerful message too of like the growth mindset idea. Like they 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 have to know in your class, right? That idea of like I can figure this out. I I can do this. It's just going to take some some manipulating and figuring out. And what's nice is, you know, you as the teacher can say, I know you can do this, student. But like when they see their peers doing it, it's like it makes it's just an easy step of like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. You know, I can arrange next time or it's just so that's really cool that it kind of builds in the classroom. Yeah. yeah and I think, you know, we get to teach kids from a young age what it means to be in a group of music makers, whether that's in general music, whether that's in choir, whether that's in a band. Um, we are modeling to them as well as our, the rest of our students, what it means to be in that community. And so if I look at my beginning guitar students and from day one, I say to them, being a musician means improvising. Being a musician means being creative. They don't question it because that's just how it's presented to them. But if I have a student who comes to me after from third through eighth grade, expecting orchestra to be one way, and then I'm telling them actually being a musician could mean this. It is really hard for them. And I think it takes some time to, to kind of tease that out. But to your point, they see other kids in the room who are, who have that way of being, and it's much easier for them to then, you know, transfer into that pattern of playing and jamming and improvising. Love it. I was also a classically trained you know, piano player. And okay. the idea of a lead sheet and improvising and jamming was terrifying to me for so many years. Mm -hmm. Everything like you're saying, you know, I was a great musician, but yet only within the piece of paper it was in front of me. Yep. So it's just amazing to think that we're giving these students these tools and these skills at a young age and they don't have to be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give someone that's, that wants to start out and maybe it's even just how do you cultivate that culture, 
you know, of taking risks and, and being creative in the classroom and feeling okay with, you know, trying things. Yeah. I think the unpopular answer that I had to figure out for myself is it starts with you mm-hmm. as a teacher, not being afraid to take risks, to play secondary instruments, to play instruments you don't know how to play, to make mistakes. Um, it really takes a lot of coming off the podium, which I know is what you are all about. <laughs> and I, I still remember, you know, when I went back to school and I did a year um, at Temple for my PhD, we did a class where we, um, me and some of the other grad students, we were making bands, playing secondary instruments and writing music and, you know, different genres. And it was really a, a a shock to my system. It was a pride hit because I'd played in bands for years, but only as a keyboardist. I would have never sat down on the drum set. I would have never grabbed the electric bass um, because that wasn't my instrument and that was someone else's instrument and I'm not going to make a fool of myself. And it made me realize, you know, I've never modeled these instruments for my students because I'm just afraid of how I look with them versus learning alongside them. And so I didn't start out my career being vulnerable, being, you know, humble about my musicianship. I was just protective and trying to seem like I was really good. And so um, when I re-entered the classroom and started the orchestra program, I was, I very much had the mindset that I'm going to make mistakes with them. So I think that's where I would start. And I even recommended teachers tell students when you're nervous, you know, I still tell my students, you know, I had a kid this year ask me if I would rap over a beat he made. (laughs) said, will you, if I, if I write a beat for you, will you write a rap for it? And I said, I've never rapped before, but for you, I will do it. And when the day came, I looked at all of my kids and said, guys, I am super nervous for this. This is crazy. I'm sweating, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to push through. And I think they appreciate that. And they, and they also see through when we're pretending that, you know, we have it together and we don't. So that might mean you get together with two other music teachers who also want to start being more creative, but feel nervous about it. And in the safety of, you know, that bubble, the three of you in the summer start jamming together, start improvising together, start exploring together. I think you should also think about starting small with your students. You know, don't get, don't look at these big shiny or, uh, challenging looking projects. Like if you hear about my on the spot composition and that feels completely overwhelming and you think I'll never do that, then you've lost an opportunity to be creative at all. So start really small. It could be a warm up. It could be, um, you know, a phrase, it could be two measures where creativity is somehow infused and for teachers to feel really proud of that. If they've even changed one thing in their lesson plan. Mm -hmm. For sure. Such good advice. (laughs) Well, so to kind of shift just a little bit, you know, we've been talking about empowering the students and how we're giving them, you know, giving them that sense of ownership. In the other side of your your world right now, you're also empowering teachers with with F-flat books. And I feel like you've provided a really awesome opportunity for teachers to share their voices. Could you tell us more about that and maybe, you know, how it got started or just how things are are going with that? Yeah. Um, so when I started at flat books two years ago, I wasn't necessarily trying to empower teachers voices. Um, I wish I was, it's a wonderful, (laughs) it's a wonderful reason to start it, but it was more that I was frustrated with the publishing model. 
Um, I'm sure you can relate to that having published yourselves. So I was frustrated with the publishing model and I wanted to create a space that provided more flexibility for authors. And, um, I knew I couldn't launch it on my own. I didn't want, you know, just to do it by myself. So I got a few friends and we launched it and it wasn't until, you know, a few months in when I started seeing the power of people's work being put out there and then being consumed and getting that feedback loop, seeing that power was so captivating to me, especially in the sense that, um, you know, some of the authors I was meeting had been rejected from publishing houses or, you know, were part of a group of underrepresented voices and didn't see themselves in publishing spaces that already existed. And so I feel like my focus somewhere in that first year started shifting and I got really excited and it was no longer, oh, let's just, you know, put this thing together. And if people want to use it, that's great. It was, okay, now I have a mission. Now I want to seek out people who have something really powerful to say that need a bigger platform. And so, um, yeah, that is our mission. Now we do have people who come to us with projects, but I actively, I'm seeking out, okay, where are the gaps in music education? Where are there no resources on this specific topic? Where are we not hearing these specific voices? Where do they live? How can I get into their community, figure out what they want to say, and then how can we use our platform to honor their voices? And so I have realized, I mean, if you're watching this and you're a music teacher and you think, I don't know if I have something to say, everyone does. And that's the beauty of it. Even if I'm talking about general music and you're talking about general music and we think, well, how could we possibly both be experts? Everyone's experience is so unique that you can get something from it. And so that's been the most beautiful thing is just seeing how each one of our authors has a unique experience and pe- it's resonating with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I agree. I think we can learn so much from each other. We don't always give, we don't give ourselves enough credit sometimes, mm-hmm. right? oh, I can't possibly. Yeah, but you can. And and you should share that voice. So yeah. And that, um, so shout out to Danielle Larrick. She's my friend from undergrad and she launched the company with me. She put a book on the site about middle school general music and she didn't really want to put it out because she just said, I don't think anyone's going to find this to be valuable. And she was our best seller that whole first year and got so much powerful feedback from her work. And that was the light bulb moment for me that like, we need someone outside of us to really, to, to speak um, brilliance to us, right? I need to be able to look at another educator and say, here's what I think makes you brilliant. And here's where I see your voice being needed. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they trust me enough to, to share it. Yeah. Well, it seems like everything's going really, really well so far. So we, we're happy that you're doing this. You know, I think it's just such a important thing to have. And it's a very clever name as well. <laughs> <laughs> all credit to my brother. Is, oh, really? Uh, yeah, he's my co-founder. Um, he is, you know, just as involved in it as I am, but he is not a music educator. Oh. He knows enough about music to make puns. And so he came up with the name. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for, for talking with us today. Um, if people wanted to contact you or find out more about you, what would be some social media links or websites we should go to? Yeah. So we do have a presence on Instagram and Facebook, um, kind of on Twitter and our handles just at F flat books. 
Um, people can also reach out to me, Sarah at flatbooks.com. And we also have um, our podcast that's part of FLAT Books that Marissa, I'm sure, talks about, which is called Musicast. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Those, those four places are the best way for people to keep in touch. And remind us one more time, the title of the book that you co-authored with um, Marissa and Matt was? Yes, that was the Creative String Orchestra. We also have a book coming out this summer by Matt Claus out of um, Ithaca College Mm -hmm. for um, its creative string book for younger kids. So he wrote a book on our site that was all about creative activities for young bands, and he's going to do creative activities for young orchestras coming out this summer. So we have Lots of creativity in the um, large ensemble classroom happening. Good. Well, we'll definitely make sure that there's a link to the website and and the um, various social media things that you mentioned so people can find it there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time tonight. We really appreciate it. This is part three of a three-part series on creativity and improvisation in ensembles. If you haven't had a chance to view part one or two, you will definitely want to go back and listen. Thanks for joining us. Make sure you subscribe below. And follow us on social media. I'm at Musical Teresa. I'm Singing Finch One. And you can follow the hashtag Pass the Baton Book.